Welcome to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. It has been a tough week. I spent many years at Covenant Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee. We lived two miles down the road from it, and it was horrific to see what I saw displayed all over the news. And I would ask for you all to keep them continually in your prayer and the whole community there. It's going to take a a very long time uh, to process all of these things. And so I would ask that you continue to do that. And if you can, uh, look for ways to give um, to these families who have um, in, endured incalculable loss. Uh, the pastor's daughter, I'm flying to Nashville and will play at one of the funeral services of the victims. And it's... Um, it's just hard to wrap your minds around. So I'd ask you to continue to pray. You know, I'm reminded of a particularly harsh event that happened in our lives. One time where I was with Gracie around the clock in the hospital, it was, she was, it was following a very brutal surgery she'd had and she was great deal of pain. And this was over 30 years ago. We were um, still in our twenties. This is before she lost her leg. And it was an effort to try to save her right leg. And I'd been, sleeping in a chair next to her for several days and, you know, trying to deal with this reality. Our oldest son was just a toddler at the time and he was staying with grandparents. And about two in the morning, Gracie woke up and stirred and asked if she can get something to drink. And I went down to the nurse's galley. Back then I kind of had the run of the hospital. We didn't have quite the lockdown stuff that we have now. And I went down there and got her some juice came back into the room and I noticed immediately something was off and she was thrashing in the bed. And I, in the dim light, I could see that her eyes were rolled back in her head and and she was going into a, I mean, she was having a seizure and I had never witnessed anybody having a seizure, certainly a grand mal seizure. And and I immediately called for the nurse. They came down. We, they, they, we all kind of had to hold her to keep her from tearing out tubes and lines and everything else. She was in a cast on her right leg where they had operated on her ankle. And we're trying to keep everything in place to keep her from falling out of the bed. She was It, it was just a horrific event. She started throwing up, and it, it, it was just awful. Those of you who have witnessed a seizure, you know. And then after... You know, I don't know how long it lasted, but it it seemed at the time it seemed like it lasted for a very long time. But it eventually it she passed out, which from what I understand, after a seizure, a lot of people do, and it's kind of the the body's way of kind of rebooting itself in some respects. I watched the nurses kind of take a deep breath and started the process of cleaning her up. And they, they changed her gown, they wiped her down, they they changed the sheets, and one of them even brushed out her hair. Uh, the nurses cleaned themselves up. We all had vomit on us, and they tidied up everything. And somewhere, somebody had called the physician, and he showed up into this thing about 
30 minutes or so later, I always used to kid him years after that hair was sticking straight up and, and, uh, we, it's, it's kind of interesting on a side note that that particular surgeon was a resident when Gracie got hurt. And now I think he's retired. So we've went through his pretty much his entire career. We saw his career end and begin, but he changed her meds and, and got her situated. Everything worked out fine, you know, but, but I was stunned by how quickly everything was tidied up and the reaction of the nurses. They did not try to fix Gracie. They didn't adjust anything until they got orders from the surgeon. They threw themselves into the task of protecting her first to make sure she didn't hurt herself. They didn't care what got on them. They were dressed for the job. They weren't wearing, you know, evening gowns and and tuxedos. They were dressed for the job. And they tidied up everything. They didn't judge her. They didn't castigate her. They didn't try to engage really anything other than just to minister to her. And I thought, you know, really, that's kind of what the church is called to do. We often find ourselves in horrific circumstances with incredibly messy and scary things. We don't have to fix it. That is not our job. That is way above our pay grade. We don't have to somehow correct people or the problem. Our primary function is to minister to them, to keep them from hurting themselves. And we don't judge them for their Reaction, they can't help it. Anguish is anguish. Sickness is sickness. And these nurses weren't worried about it getting on them. They were covered with vomit and everything else. They didn't they didn't phase them because they were wearing the right uniform. Well, we're called to put on the righteousness of Christ. That's what we wear. We are covered in Christ. And I know the armor of God and that kind of thing. But in this moment, I'm just talking about that we, we, we put on Christ. That's the whole point. We Paul says in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. In other words, the life I live in my everyday journey as a caregiver, I live by faith in the Son of God. I am covered in Him. It's not going to get on me. It's not going to affect me if it does. I mean, it's we're not... It's not going to stain Christ, if, if if that makes any sense. They gave no thought to what they were wearing because they knew they were wearing the right uniform. We can be the same way without any concern and in going into the messiest of situations without it, you know, crossing our mind, oh, is this going to get on me? It doesn't matter. We're wearing the right uniform. We are in Christ. And so we can go confidently, not Boldly, I've been thinking about those two words, confident and boldness. You know, we can go boldly into the presence of God because of the work of Christ, and we can call him Daddy. We can call him Abba, Father. But I'm using a different word here intentionally because words matter. Confidence is a much different connotation when you go into suffering. I don't want to boldly go into anyone's suffering, but I want to confidently go into it. 
when I'm playing the piano next week at this funeral, I'm not boldly playing the piano, but I'm confidently playing because I know the message that I want to bring musically. And there is a difference. There's a big difference for us as caregivers when we go into situations that are very messy. We can go confidently knowing that we're dressed for the job because of the righteousness of Christ, knowing that we don't have to fix the situation because we're not the surgeon, we're not the doctor, we're not the great physician, knowing that we can minister to others in their distress. Again, one of them even took time to comb her hair. They didn't have to do that, but they did. Another one put their hand on my shoulder and said, are you okay? At the time, I muttered out, yeah, yeah, whatever, but I don't even remember what I said, but I wasn't okay, and that's a, that's a story for another time. It's been a hard week, and the people in Nashville, people I know and love, are grieving. I'm grieving, but everything in Scripture assures me that we can walk confidently even into great sorrow. That's the gospel. That is the good news. That confidence doesn't come from us. It comes from Christ, who has given us the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. This is the message that we can share with the world. And this is Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll be right back. We live in a day when America's families are under attack like never before. Buddy Smith, Senior Vice President of the American Family Association. The war against biblical principles rages on numerous fronts. The internet, Hollywood, Washington, D.C., America's corporate boardrooms, and the list goes on. At American Family Association, we're committed to standing against the enemies of God, the enemies of your family, And we recognize it's an impossible task without God's favor and your partnership. Thank you for being faithful to pray for this ministry, to give financially, and to respond to our calls for activism. What you do on the home front is crucial to what we do on the battlefront. We praise God for your faithfulness. And may He give us many victories in the battles ahead as we work together to restore our nation's biblical foundations. Welcome to Apologetics with Carl Kirby. Reincarnation is the Eastern belief system that life is cyclical. A being dies and then returns to something else. Shockingly, recent studies found that a whopping 33% of Americans believe in reincarnation, and sadly, 19% of those claiming to be evangelical Christians believe this lie. But reincarnation runs counter to the clear scriptural teaching that each human is made in the image of God, and that upon death, the person's soul goes to heaven or hell. As Hebrews 9.27 tells us, it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. As authors Henry Morris and Martin E. Clark wrote, classical ideas of reincarnation know nothing of a personal God who enters holy relationships with his creatures. In other words, the impersonal and fatalistic nature of reincarnation is contrary to God's truth. There's one more reason why reincarnation is false that we'll talk about next time. For more information, go to hopetools.net and stay bold. Just can't go on. 
Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. That is Gracie and me performing a wonderful song called In the Midst of the Valley, written by Debbie Hargis and Archie Jordan. Archie's been on this program before, and Gracie and I recorded that, wow, over 30 years ago. And it's an appropriate message for not only the events of this week, but the life that we have as caregivers that we spend so much time in very troubling places, in dark places, in valleys, in lonely places. And that song speaks to that. And I think we as caregivers um, benefit greatly when we are assured of this and we assure others of this. You know, one of the things I've told you over the years I've been doing this program that I'm often here preaching to myself. I'm not here to lecture anyone else. I'm here to strengthen myself in this. And I've found that the more I say these things, the more I can confidently walk into very difficult situations. Last week on the program, I shared with you the the weight of some of the circumstances that I deal with and I, I walk into in addition to what I carry. But I can't do that on my own strength. I would never presume to do that on my own strength. And why would we? Because then we'll end up just giving platitudes to ourselves and to others, and that doesn't help anybody. What we are called to do is to walk confidently into those horrific circumstances, just like our Savior walked into ours. Okay? That's that's the, the model. That's the standard. Because He did it for us. And yes, it cost us to go into painful things. And we will weep. And it will hurt. And it will be uncomfortable. What did it cost Him? And that's what we keep in mind. What did it cost Him? And and it doesn't mean we go in to try to fix it and give the answers and all those kinds of things. I think that is a foolish waste of time. What... I think the best illustration that I have for this is when Gracie had a wreck 40 years ago. Ten truckers stopped. We we know this. We got the account from them, and, and it's all featured in Gracie's book. Ten truckers stopped. They saw the whole thing happen. They pulled over. They put out the fire. They called for paramedics, and they just kept assuring her that help was coming. Help was coming. Help was coming. Hang in there. Hang in there, little girl. That's what they said to her over and over. When the paramedics got there, same thing. Hang in there. We're going to get you to safety. Hold on. It's going to be okay. We're here. That's how we talk to each other in trauma. That's how it's supposed to be done. Not, well, God obviously has a reason or you wouldn't be here. Or what were you doing here? Why were you out driving like this? Or all things work together for good. We don't bludgeon people with those kinds of platitudes. And and people can use Scripture as a weapon. Did you know that? Satan did it with Jesus. He tried to twist it all into, and he did it with Adam and Eve. Did God really say? Doesn't it say here? And we're called to reject that and go and represent the same grace and compassion and care and love and humility that reached into our lives. And I think that 
the best way to do that is to remember consistently of what it cost him to come into our hopeless, desperate car wrecks, brokenness, messes. You know, I don't often share this, but maybe today's the day for this. I had my own train wreck. I had my own car accident. I had my own mess. And I chose to do terrible things to medicate my rage, my immaturity, my despair as a caregiver. That's why I tell you guys, I failed at everything you could fail at, including being faithful. And when I showed up at Covenant Presbyterian Church, I had held that secret for a very long time. And it was chewing at me. There's a great line in the movie Open Range where Kevin Costner plays a you know, veteran gunslinger, a guy that had had a lot of carnage behind him, and he looked at the townspeople who were afraid of dying if they stood up to this bad guy, and he said, there's worse things than dying that gnaw at a man's soul. Let me tell you something. He, <laughs> that line is perfect. And there were things gnawing at my soul that needed to be dealt with. And this is many, many, many years ago. And I listened to these two men preach. I, Jim Bachman was the senior minister there. Larry Ferris was the associate minister. And Larry was my Sunday school teacher. And I don't think Larry would mind me sharing this. And if he does, he's got to drive a long ways to fuss at me. <laughs> but he showed up at our house the morning that I stepped out of the shadows. And I'll never forget this he laid down on the rug on our den and wept over us. Later, he pulled me aside and he said, okay, look, we're going we're gonna to walk you guys through this thing. You're not under discipline, you're under authority. Do you know what that means? That means everything. That means that I was not being excommunicated. I was not being judged. I had confessed. I had come to them, and they were going to shepherd me through this, and I didn't have to figure this out all by myself. Gracie didn't have to figure this out all by herself. We had people that were going to shepherd us through this, that would groan with us, that would weep with us, that would rejoice with us. And I'm going to share things today, I'm sorry, that, that are a little bit more personal than I normally do, but it's probably time. And for several years, these two pastors cared for Gracie and I very quietly. We were still very much in the public eye during a lot of those things, but we just walked through it very quietly, and we healed. Most of the people at the church, at Covenant Christian Church, the pictures you've seen all over the news, most of those people had no idea that I even played the piano. But Jim would hear me come to the church and play, pouring out my heart as we healed not only from all the surgeries and all this and all that, but my own messes. And one Wednesday, we had Wednesday night dinners, and one Wednesday evening, 
It was the Wednesday before, the last Wednesday night dinner we'd had before the Thanksgiving holidays. And the church was going to have a communion service. And Jim asked if I would play the piano while they served communion. I was aghast. (laughs) I've been playing the piano in church since I was five years old. And for the first time in my life, I was taken aback. And I looked at Jim and I said, I'm not worthy to play for these people. This was at this church that you've seen all over the news this week. And I said, I'm not worthy to play for these people. And Jim put his hand on my shoulder and basically told me to get up there and do my job. Larry explained it to me later. He said, in church discipline, we can excommunicate people. That's what the church has a responsibility to do when people want to live a life uh, that is contrary to Scripture. He said, but we also communicate the gospel. And that's what happened. And so I got up and played that night during communion for those folks. None of them, only three people in the room, four people in the room, had any idea of the drama going on in my heart as I was obedient to my pastor, my pastors, who I recognized their authority and they brought the full weight of the church, of the gospel into my life. And they put their hands on my shoulder and they commissioned me to play the piano. Now, that may not seem like much to you. There are a lot of people that play musical instruments. For me, it was a huge moment. And it changed the way I played music from then on. I've been performing for a lifetime. And I performed in front of large crowds. But from that moment on, I stopped performing for applause. I didn't care if anybody clapped. I wanted them, the audience to know what I was playing. Do you understand what I'm playing here? Do you understand what this means? Do you understand this gospel? that I'm playing this song. So if I'm going to play the old rugged cross or any other hymn that you love and you all love to hear me play at the caregiver keyboard, if I'm going to play any of those hymns, you recognize now because you know me that I'm playing them with a sense of responsibility and passion and I'm going to put chords and I'm going to play it in such a way that you're going to understand that something's different here. That's kind of the whole point. And that started with two ministers who walked confidently into our mess. That's the gospel. That's what we do. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. That's what Jesus said. Go to the sick, naked, hungry, thirsty, prison, strangers. Go to the highways and the byways. Go and minister with confidence knowing that We're extending the same comfort that we ourselves have received from the God of all comfort, that we are under his leadership. We are wearing his righteousness. This is the responsibility. This is the privilege. This is the mandate. This is the commissioning, if you will. And so as I reflect on all these things that have happened, and there's there's more. I mean, I can... In fact, I'll tell you one when I come back of an event that happened. Because I want you to understand the incredible ministry that I received 
from two men who went into our mess. This is Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll be right back. To sharpen the biblical worldview of Christians and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the mission of the Christian Worldview Radio Program. I'm host David Wheaton, inviting you to join us this Saturday morning at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, as we discuss all matters of life and faith from a decidedly biblical perspective. The Christian Worldview, Saturday mornings at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, right here on American Family Radio. Hey, moms and dads, are you at your wit's end? Hi, this is Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. I'm so grateful for the partnership we have with American Family Radio. We share a common goal to bring hope to hurting families through the life-changing medium of radio. Be sure to listen Saturday afternoons at 4.30 Central on American Family Radio. Find help and hope for your family with Parenting Today's Teens. The Bible teaches us to count it all joy when we face trouble or persecution. How can we find real joy in times of trouble? Hello, I'm Sam Rohr with another Stand in the Gap Minute. This week we've looked at the persecution that we should expect as believers and how to respond to it. But James 1-2 adds that we're to count it all joy, but why? Well, the verse adds that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness or resilience. When we experience suffering, we build our endurance. Just as exercise builds the strength of our physical body, persecution strengthens our spirit. A workout may not feel like fun at the time, but consistent effort leads to much improvement. In a similar way, consistently facing persecution with joy deepens our faith and makes us more effective in living for God. So don't fear persecution, count it all joy today. Discover more at AmericanPastorsNetwork.net. could solve them I'd never know what faith in God could do and that's why through it all through it Welcome back to Hope of the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. That is Gracie and Johnny Erickson Tata singing a song that is incredibly appropriate right now. Through it all. Through it all. And you know, a lot of people could say those things, but when Johnny and Gracie sing that, you have to understand that between the two of them, they have over 95 years of disability, harsh disability. And right now, our faith is under assault. People are mocking us for praying. People are mocking something like this happening in a, in a house of God. Uh, the world, the gloves are off, and the world is uh, brazen now in in our country. They've been brazen around the world for many years, but in our country, we're not used to an open defiance and mocking behavior that is directed to the things of God like we're seeing on parade now. And the media is the echo chamber for this. Make no mistake, it's going to get worse. But we don't have to 
quell and, and shake and shiver over this. We can resist this. We can stand up to this. We can endure. We can be fortified in it. That's the whole point of the Holy Spirit. The comforter has come. There's this old hymn that we would sing, but the comfort, the word comfort goes back to our English word comfort, come fort with strength. Fort, you know, it's like forte. The piano is called a pianoforte. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it's because it can play loud and soft. The word piano and forte, loud is forte, soft is piano. If you want to play something very soft, it's pianissimo. If you want to play something very loud, it's fortissimo, with great strength. Well, the only keyboard they had before the piano was the harpsichord. You know, and it only had one volume because it plucked the strings. It didn't, there wasn't a hammer that hit the strings. And so when we say the comforter with strength, what's your forte? Have you ever used that phrase? Well, that's the derivation of this word comfort. And we've morphed it into they're there, a consoling kind of thing. You know, it's, we, we, it, and, and I, we do get consolation. But it's really in the form of strengthening. I mean, go back and look at one of the greatest hymns ever written, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus by Charles Wesley. And he's got a line in there. It says, Let us find our rest in the Israel's strength and consolation. Israel's strength and consolation. I think that's the only hymn, at least that I know of, that has the word consolation in it. But it was tied with strength. And there's this sense of of spine stiffening. That's why I play all these hymns that I, that I love so much. Spine stiffening. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to stiffen our spines, to strengthen us so that we can persevere and endure so that people like Johnny and Gracie can sing through it all. I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. That's fortification. You don't go through what those two women have gone through and do this with a milk toast faith. You know, and I remember one time uh, 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 my book, Hope for the Caregiver, people said, well, you got too much stuff about God in there. Like, well, you do what I've done for as long as I've done it, then you write a book and tell me how you did it and I'll buy your book. But I haven't found anybody that's done that. So There. And I'm not going to even be coy about it. I'm too tired. I, I I got too much on my plate. I got too much competing for bandwidth in my life to argue with foolishness. So if somebody wants to, you know, lodge a complaint that I have too much of God in my books, well, that's their issue. Do do it yourself. You know, go write your own book. Take care of somebody for 37 years through this kind of stuff, and then you write your own book, and we'll go from there. So. I, I don't I don't have that, and I don't think that we as believers need to concern ourselves with that. I'm not an apologetics kind of guy. I, I'm 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 not here to argue with anybody about this. I don't I don't know that I have the intellect to be a good apologetics guy. You know, I just um, I just focus on the people like me who are busted up, feeling bruised and battered, and lonely and despairing and guilty and ashamed and, and uh, uh, all the things that you all have gotten to know with me over the years. That's, that's who I focus on, you know, and, and that's what I believe reflects the, the mandate that God has given me. 
there are people much better suited to argue than in this case than I am. I I think that a lot of this started, I told you I'd tell you another story about this. A lot of this started for me working with Jim and Larry at, at Covenant Presbyterian Church. And if you saw the video, you saw where this assailant blew out the window, the, the, the glass in the doorway and crawled in through the door. Well, if you go down the hall from where she came in, and make no mistake, I'm not going to call her a he, regardless of what the New York Times says. And if that gets me in trouble and gets me letters, so be it. You know, you got to come all the way out to Montana to, to raise a ruckus with me. So there. <laughs> I just, I'm too tired to deal with this. And I'm, I'm going to call it like I see it. This is a woman, and I don't care what kind of, you know, politically correct stuff that the media is trying to do. She was a woman who had severe mental illness, which, you know, anybody who's wanting to mutilate their body to look like something different and identify something different and to call themselves something different than what they are, they're not stable. And that's a mental illness, and it's time we started calling it and let the chips fall where they may. Um, I think I have the full backing of this network <laughs> on that statement. Uh, and, and, and again, you heard John Eldridge on my program a couple of weeks ago when he talked about this. When you start trying to desecrate the image of God that we are created in. That is the, that is the ultimate expression of defiance at God. Uh, and that is the goal of the enemy, is to destroy the image of God. This is the world we live in now. And we need to be aware of it. We need to prepare for it. We can't just wave our Bibles around and, and you know, and, and spout off a few scriptures and, and sing a hymn and it doesn't work that way. We've got to go into these things with confidence. And in spiritual warfare, we can go in boldly. In people's trauma, we go in with confidence, but with compassion and humility. And the best way to remember that is to remember how Christ did it for us. And I was sitting at the, if you go down that hallway, let me get back to the story here. You go straight down the hallway and you turn to the left, there's the what is now the fellowship hall, but at the time it kind of functioned as both the fellowship hall and the sanctuary. When we first started going there, the sanctuary had not been built yet. And that's where we had worship services. And there was a raised platform at the east end of the fellowship hall, and that's and there was the piano up there, and there was an organ, the choir loft, and the pulpit. And then, you know, the chairs were put up and down every week. After services and Wednesday night dinners and so forth, we would often stack the chairs. Mike supervised a lot of that. Even after the sanctuary was built, we would still do that. We, you know, in the fellowship hall to get ready for the classes that would come, the children that would come, you know, to the school. And you know, Mike was ever present there. But this Sunday morning, we were there, and I was. We were sitting on the front row. Gracie and I, and the boys were sitting on the front row. And I, people used to ask, "Why do you sit on the front row?" Because nobody would sit on the front row. Who sits on the front row at church? But I, I sat on the front row with my family, and I told the pastors, "I said I want you all to, in case you ever draw a blank while you're preaching, to look down and see what God can do with a woman with a broken body and a sinful man." I loved being there. And one Sunday morning, we were having communion at church. And you ever wonder what would happen if somebody dropped the trays with all the grape juice? They were using grape juice there. You ever wonder what would happen if somebody ever dropped the trays? Well, it happened. 
And it wasn't a catastrophe as such because it was all hardwood. Even though the the cloth on the the table, the, the communion table, was white and it was stained with all that red liquid. And then it was dripping down the stairs. And something happened to me, and I watched... Larry, my pastor at the time, Larry's retired. And, and again, these, this was many years ago, but it was such a vivid moment. And I'm sitting there on the front row and I'm watching Larry get down on his knees and he was trying to blot it up. Somebody, I think it handed him a handkerchief or something. And then somebody showed up with a roll of paper towels or something, but I, I left my seat. I just got up and I was trying to, I was going to take my suit coat off and blot it up. Something happened to me as I was watching this cascade of liquid flow down. And Larry was kind of embarrassed. He looked over at me and he whispered, thank you. And I was sobbing. I was just sobbing. And you could hear the congregation start just kind of, it started, people started sobbing throughout the congregation. Because they realized the moment of what had happened. Not with me. I mean, just the the visual of this. And... I was, it, 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 Larry's a little bit surprised, but I looked at it, this is what he did for me. This is what he did for me. He spelled it for me. It was, it was one of the most memorable events in my entire life and will always be such. And I think for me, this is how I face everything. When I keep my mind focused on what he did for me, the cost that he paid on my behalf, it assures me that I don't have to be an expert at apologetics. I don't have to be the best orator and theologian and writer and all those kinds of things. I, I, I do, I write books and I speak here on the radio, but I do this not because I'm the best at it, simply because I am compelled to. I must tell others what has happened in my life. Scripture says they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony in Revelations. Not the word of their opinion, the word of their experience, the word of their journey, the word of their transformational encounter with the risen Christ. I, I, I love the story of Thomas, who I think was unfairly pegged as doubting Thomas, because we're all doubting. We're all doubters. But when he encountered the risen Christ, he didn't say, oh, I get to go to heaven. Oh, I'm going to go be a preacher. He simply said, my Lord and my God. There on the floor of that building that you've seen all over the news, I blotted up grape juice next to a pastor who wept on our floor over us. And I had yet another encounter with my Lord and my God. And that is why I have hope as a caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Peter Rosenberger. Have you ever helped somebody walk for the first time? I've had that privilege many times through our organization, Standing with Hope. When my wife, Gracie, gave up both of her legs following this horrible wreck that she had, as a teenager, and she tried to save them for years, and it, it just wouldn't work out. And finally, she relinquished them and thought, Wow, this is it. I mean, I don't have any legs anymore. What can God do with that? And then she had this vision for using prosthetic limbs 
as a means of sharing the gospel, to put legs on our fellow amputees. And that's what we've been doing now since 2005 with Standing With Hope. We work in the West African country of Ghana, and you can be a part of that through supplies, through supporting team members, through supporting the work that we're doing over there. You could designate a limb. There's all kinds of ways that you could be a part of giving the gift that keeps on walking at standingwithhope.com. Would you take a moment to go out to standingwithhope.com and see how you can give they go walking and leaping and praising God. You can be a part of that at standingwithhope.com. From the Pacific Justice Institute, this is The Legal Edge, defending your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. Here's Brad Dacus. Hi, friends. I'm Brad Dacus. Did you know that in addition to being an attorney, I'm also an ordained minister? After seeing the Lord's miraculous work in my life, I felt called to share the gospel of truth nationwide. I've preached at hundreds of very large and very small churches across the country, applying God's word to today's challenges. If you're a pastor who's interested in having me fill in on a Sunday morning to preach without charge on how Christians can be victorious during such pivotal times— Please just visit our website, pji.org, and click on the Book a Speaker button. Once again, that's pji.org. PJI provides legal representation without charge. Get exclusive email updates by registering for The Legal Insider at pji.org. That is the old hymn, Near to the Heart of God. Do you know the story behind that? Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. It was written by a Presbyterian minister named Cleland McAfee. Cleland McAfee. And the inspiration of this hymn, two of his nieces died within a day of each other from diphtheria. And it rocked the entire community. And, you know, of course, he's the pastor. They're looking to him and he was struggling himself with grief. And he penned these lyrics. And I, and I can't help but think of this pastor at Covenant Presbyterian Church. His name is Chad Scruggs. His daughter was killed this week. And this pastor, another Presbyterian minister, Cleland McAfee, wrote these lyrics. There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God, a place where sin cannot molest, near to the heart of God. The choir was so taken with Pastor McAfee's text that they gathered outside the home, sorry, of his brother, whose little girls were dead. And they sang this out on the yard to their pastor's brother and his family, near to the heart of God. This world is messed up. Make no mistake about it. We know this. And when we have events like we've had, we are shocked and appalled, horrified, aghast, broken we don't have words 
Scripture says the Holy Spirit groans on our behalf. Groans on our behalf. Jesus himself groaned when he saw the afflictions. The world may mock our faith. They will mock our faith, not may. They will and they are. I can't change that. All I can do is go back to what Scripture says. All I can do is look at the testimony of my life and say, this is what I was before. This is what I am now. This is how I endure. This is how I am strengthened. There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God, a place where sin cannot, does not, will not, forevermore cannot molest near to the heart of God. O Jesus, blessed Redeemer, sent from the heart of God. I put that hymn on my CD and I, I enjoy playing it. And when I go back and listen to it, it strengthens me. I play for me sometimes, y'all. I, I, I want you to know that because I need to be reminded of these things. I need to hear these things. And I'm grateful that God gave me the ability to play music so that I can work through these things because there are no words. And many times, there are times, and Gracie will tell you that there are times in our life where we haven't had the words. We just go to the piano and I'll play and she'll sing. And uh, one time for our anniversary, um, another one of the gentlemen there at Covenant who worked with Mike, the man that was killed this this week, Mike Hill, and I want you all to know a little bit about him. He would clean the, the sanctuary, straighten up things, and just check on things while I was in there practicing. And I would play for him. He would stand there sometimes, sometimes just sit in the pew and just listen. And I was up at the front, and you can see that picture. Um, I put it on, I don't, some social media stuff. But he would sit there in the back and listen. And I'd play for him. I, I'm going to play for his funeral. And um, one time on our anniversary, one of the other fellows, Mike's friend for 45 years, Anthony, and his wife, Winona, led us into the sanctuary at night at that church where you've seen all over the news. And Gracie and I sat at the piano. I sat at the piano with her. She was in her wheelchair. She was going through a pretty rough patch. And we played for an hour and a half. I played the piano and Gracie sang. And Winona and Anthony sat in the back and they just listened. And I just kept playing him after him and Gracie would sing. And the acoustics of that place were so magnificent. We didn't have microphones or anything. You could just It just reverberated. And the thought that gunfire reverberated in that place is just heartrending to me. But that night, Gracie sang. And she sang for an hour and a half. And she got real quiet. And I was just sitting at the piano. And I looked over at her. And she had fallen asleep in her wheelchair. She just kind of slumped her head over. And she sang through 
the pain. We played through the pain. This is why I, I, I play these hymns. There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. He is redeeming all of these things. We don't know how. We don't know why. We don't know any of these things. And uh, it's hard to process. In God's economy, somehow this makes sense. I don't understand it. I don't particularly like it. But I have that confidence that comes with the transformational encounter with the risen Christ that fortifies me, that strengthens me to trust him in this, to endure. And not only endure, but to come on the air and offer what I have to you. Next week, I will sit at the piano and I will play. And I will think about all the times that Mike sat in that sanctuary and listened to me play. I will think of all the hugs, the handshakes, the tears, the times that he loved Gracie. Oh, he loved Gracie. He put up with me. <laughs> and, uh, and he and he, yeah, he would amen that one. But he loved Gracie. He loved that church. He loved those people. He loved. I knew that Mike had been killed before they announced it on the news. And I also knew that he was, the, he was the first one that was killed, and I knew that he would put himself between evil and those whom he loved. I knew it. And the ensuing stories have proven he bought precious seconds. Another friend of ours, granddaughter, was at the school, and she was able to get to safety. A friend of mine's wife works for a man whose grandchild was not. It's hard to know what to say, and I don't know that we have to say anything. Maybe we just take our cue from what the Scriptures say about the Holy Spirit, that we just groan. When my pastor, Larry, my dear friend, came to our house all those years ago in our distress, and he laid on the carpet and just groaned for us. When I wiped up spilled communion trays in front of a congregation. I just groaned because I I saw another glimpse of what salvation means and what the redemptive work of God in this messed up, bloody, broken world. Just a picture I saw of what that cost him. When I watched the news this week, I groaned. I've watched Gracie in so much pain that she doesn't have the words. She just groans. And there have been times when I've groaned in what Watchman Nee calls the dark night of the soul. And there's been many times I've just groaned at the piano. 
I don't think we have to have words. Our Savior weeps over this broken world. And part of, I think, sharing in the sufferings of Christ is recognizing what he experienced, which was great sorrow. Isaiah said he was a man of great sorrow, acquainted with grief. To follow Christ is to be acquainted with grief. To experience sorrow, it will cost you. It will hurt. You will groan. But he is redeeming all of these things. This is our hope. This is our confidence. And this is what I will remember when I sit at the piano next week at this funeral. I, I think I need to stop now. <laughs> and I will just tell you, thank you all for the privilege of sharing my heart a little bit with you all today. And I look forward to more times with you. This is Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll see you next week. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.